0: Welcome to the inside story on franchising with valuable insights on how to create multiple streams of income through franchising and building businesses. Host Ricardo Matos has spent more than 25 years building businesses in multiple industries and helping other business owners succeed. His expertise and entrepreneurial know-how will educate and inspire you. On the show, Ricardo brings together industry experts and insiders who share solutions and strategies along with a passion for helping entrepreneurs make the best decision when it comes to buying a franchise or any business opportunity, and much more.
1: Welcome today to the podcast on the inside story of the franchise. We are here with Bethany Badcock, who has worked property management and leasing and investment sales for over 15 years. Bethany is the founder of Foresight Real Estate since 2014. Is that correct, Bethany? That's right. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So, Bethany, um, it's great to have you here today. What can you tell us about you?
2: Um, well, I'm not sure what you might find interesting um, or relevant to your to your topic. Um, well, but,
1: tell me, tell me you know, about I'm your a, business. I'm tell me about who you are.
2: Sure, I'm passionate about commercial real estate, obviously, and um, I uh, started it, as you mentioned, in 2014, and we've grown really quickly and enjoy it. And really our main clients that we work with um, mostly uh, revolve around shopping centers. We work with investors of shopping centers that buy and sell. And we work okay. with tenants and mostly restaurants um, and uh, regional and a few nationals and, and quite a few local tenants that are in the restaurant industry. It's kind of the bread and butter of what we do here at this brokerage firm. We also have a property management division. So pretty much anything we can do to help people in the retail side of things is, uh, is where we like to...
1: Um, focus it's our more energy. the in the, commercial, in the more commercial section part of the uh, real estate industry, right?
2: Yeah, we only do commercial.
1: Only um, commercial. We,
2: we don't do any residential at all, and we really focus most of our efforts on uh, retail, a little bit of office, but retail is where we shine.
1: Perfect, perfect. So let me ask you this um, How do you, as a company, if you have ever worked with any franchisee or or for any business entity on finding property, how do you go about helping them, if you have, uh, finding location for their business and entity?
2: Yeah, we do that quite a bit. So what it really depends on the type of business. Okay. Uh, for an example, if it's a coffee shop coming in from another market, so let's say they are have a couple of locations in another market, we'll study those current markets, ask them what what works for them, what doesn't work for them, they too big, too small, what are their best performing stores, and then we try to put together a demographic profile and a, and a submarket profile to better understand them and get a good idea of um, why those locations work so that we can try to duplicate and enhance those efforts in the next market they expand into. If they are a first-time operator or a first-time franchisee, we will do that for them based on the um, setup of the Franchisors' um, existing locations and try to identify their best performing locations and then then work from that angle.
1: I used to live in Florida, and the city of Winter Park, they used to have a lot of restrictions uh, for franchising and coming into a particular city. Do you happen to have any problem dealing with the Department of uh, Economic Development on finding any specific location where to actually place a particular? Uh, franchise?
2: You know, not really. San Antonio has been pretty warm and welcoming. And then the other surrounding cities that we work in as well. And for the most part, they want the sales tax revenue. So they'll work with you. There are a few little sub cities within our market that are very challenging to work with, but it's not specific to franchisees. Um, they're just not as pro business. And so they'll, their regulations just sometimes are insurmountable um, or so it can seem at the times. Um, and then other smaller cities within our MSA, like, um, city of live Oak is incredibly business friendly and they'll just bend over backwards to do anything for you, especially during the permitting process. So really it just depends, but for the most part, no, Texas is pretty pro business. And so we we're really fortunate in that regard. Yeah. I mean, there are some concepts that we'll get pushed back on, um, you know, on shops, payday lenders, that kind of thing. Yes. There will be some challenges, but for the most part, no.
1: So, you don't have any restrictions based on business, like, let's say, for example, a strip mall that they only want X amount of gas stations or X amount of restaurants in a particular uh, uh, mall area that you're working with or developer area where they don't have any restrictions. So, you're pretty much well open to find any particular location for franchise and franchise stores to establish businesses across the board.
2: Well, what you just mentioned would probably be more owner-specific as far as investors for those particular properties, not so much the city placing the restrictions. And owners will sometimes do that, and there's a few reasons for it. So it's a good thing to understand why so that you can find out if there's a way to overcome it. Um, There are some landlords that don't want more than 30% of their center being restaurants. That might be because of parking. It might be because um, they're concerned about the volatility of the restaurant industry and they don't want all their tenants in the same industry and they're viewing it as a, as a uh, way to hedge risk. Um, or it might be because they feel um, there might be too many competing categories. and They want to protect the existing tenants to make sure that they don't compete or cannibalize each other's sales. So, um, yeah, there might be various reasons for it. But if there are restrictions that franchisees face, it's usually based on the ownership level and not on the government level.
1: Very nice, that's good to know. Uh, You'd be surprised how many people ask me that question. Would there be any restrictions uh, for any particular area? And sometimes from franchise, or they may be in a particular area, but they don't have any franchisees located there yet. And those questions do come across quite often, more often than not, so. But uh, also, how do you as a company find ways to help new franchisees or business owners find the right location for their business entity and what step are you involved in this process?
2: Right from the get-go all the way down to the grand opening. So we get pretty pretty involved in that whole process and try to be in essence project managers for them and identifying and you know, opening up their next location, um, coordinating with local services and such so that they we can make that job a little bit easier. So even if it's not our job introducing them to someone local that might be able to help them in that particular area um, and making sure they don't get in with bad contractors or under, so that they can understand the restrictions, um, if there are any, and they can also understand true permitting timelines. You know, Every city's a little bit different and they might promise a 30-day turnaround, but we can tell them if that's realistic or not so that then they know how to negotiate their leases accordingly to minimize their um, capital output before the grand opening. And that's, that's typically the goal and the angle that we try to do after finding the very best location yeah. for them, then the next step would be for us to be able to look for ways to preserve their startup capital um, so that they can be as successful as possible. When it comes to identifying the best location, we'd love to use technology. So we'll use cell phone data to look at their current locations um, mm-hmm. as well as competitors' locations to get a better understanding of how their traffic patterns are working and make sure that they're in the, in the exact right spot.
1: Very nice. Very nice. So on another matter, I think you pretty much were pretty much answer this particular question I believe so but can you also share with me some of the major challenges that you are facing seeing new franchisees and business owners they're facing finding a location for the business and how are you having to help them I know you just mentioned you know information data but what other things are challenging for you helping the new franchisees or that you have overcome as a That's a mouthful of questions right there.
2: No, it's okay. So the most recent challenge that we faced, obviously, is is COVID. And one of the bigger challenges that the restaurant industry faced wasn't, yes, closures were a problem, but for franchisees that weren't open, uh, for a lot of them, the biggest challenge was being able to get their SBA loan approved and processed. A lot of SBA lenders, if not the majority of them, pulled back entirely from the SBA processing of a, of new business loans and focused on PPP. And so that made it very challenging for these guys who were sitting there with an LOI in hand or even a lease signed just to get their loan approved, to be able to open. And that was probably the biggest reason for the delay in openings Mm -hmm. um, during the whole shutdown and COVID. And that's starting to come back, but you definitely see a lot of banks weary of first time operators and not want, not as generous with loan terms as they used to be. They really wanna know that they've been in business before, that they've done this, that they have experience as a franchisee, and uh, landlords wanna know the same thing. Oh, wow. So it's oh, really wow. important for franchisees to be able to understand that objection and be ready to, um, to deal with it and work with their broker to overcome those challenges.
1: So it's pretty much uh, a mindset on your part having to teach them to make sure they're patient and that uh, you're actually helping them to work through all their hurdles in that aspect correct and uh i guess by having an educated client it allows you to do yeah. your job a whole lot easier i love you there
2: definitely yeah making sure that we have a client that we can work with and and understands the process is really important Um, I would say making sure that the franchisor has a good team on their end as well, because a lot of times they might be working with someone that maybe they work with as a smaller brand, but didn't have the experience as the company grew. And that can be a big challenge for deals as well, um, because they might not have the capacity or the skill set to work on 30 location openings, the same as they did for three. And so those of us that focus on restaurants can quickly see, oh, this is going to be a challenge. We're going to hit yeah. these roadblocks and they're looking at this from a different angle. Um, and so making sure that they are franchisor um, and making a good selection on that and making sure they have a good partner there is, is equally important.
1: Wow. Yeah, you, you actually walked in right into the next topic. <laughs> so basically what I'm trying to say is that what is the difference between who should buy and who should rent? Because you just mentioned key code there. I mean, the franchisor mm-hmm. has to be very in focus and the actual franchisee has to be very selective of what they want to do. What do you suggest and recommend who should buy and who should rent in relation to the franchisee?
2: That is a great question. I actually wrote an article about that last year and, and it ran in Forbes. And it was one of those things that basically said, is the is the McDonald's strategy right for me? Right? Is the... Is, Is the, did, did McDonald's get it right? And I think a lot of people will quote that they'll be like, I'm not in the hamburger business, I'm in the real estate business. But what they don't realize is the person who they were quoting was the franchisor, not the franchisee and the franchisor was leasing the space to the franchisees. And that's why he was making a lot of money. The business owners themselves don't make the same returns in real estate as they do in operating the business. So while there may be some opportunity there, it's really important for them to know that if, they get, um, if their business plans change, they're stuck with that real estate. And that real estate is only as valuable as their business is while their business is in it. If they need to relocate, leave or sell or close the business, a vacant building isn't worth much. And a vacant building built out specific for a tenant's needs isn't worth much. Yeah. So it's really important to take that into consideration. Because a tenant that is focused on just owning the real estate, that may be a great strategy if they can find the perfect real estate at a really great price, and then turn around and do a lease back later um, so that they can redeploy that capital. But without that perfect set of circumstances, it's very challenging for tenants to be able to focus just on buying, because what it does is it limits them to C, D, and E auctions in real estate, because those are typically the ones that are for sale. And if they are a traffic-driven tenant, that's not a good strategy, and they will fail.
1: Well, you kind of enlightened me. Another question that I wanted to ask you is related to, I have seen businesses where in a particular location they have been, let's say, a bar. I've seen a bar in one particular place, and they last there for three months or three years or whatever, and the next 10 is another bar, and also fails. Um, have you come across in the real estate area where you get a franchisee that wants to establish a particular business in a particular location, but in the previous owner was similar to that business. Do you suggest and recommend those entities to come aboard into that business or do you try to find a different place or location? how, How do you deal with that situation? How do you go about dealing with a situation where a business that used to be there went bankrupt once or twice, different kinds, and all of a sudden now you get a new franchisee it once you've been in that space?
2: That is a great question and want to answer a lot because people see a lot of value in second generation spaces. And there are, but that doesn't mean you can just come in, paint, and then start selling your product. Because what it does is it smells like a failed restaurant. <laughs> I don't know how to describe that, but when you walk into a restaurant that has failed and maybe it used to be an Outback Steakhouse, but now it's a Mexican restaurant. And it still feels like an Outback Steakhouse and it doesn't feel good and it's a very emotional thing. So it's hard to put your finger on, but that does lead to the success or failure of a business. A Mm -hmm. great example here in town is just that. So we had a center that was a, or it wasn't ours. It was a property across the street from our office and we all kind of watched it go through that progression. It was an Outback and then it was a Mexican restaurant and then it failed and it was another Mexican restaurant. And then it failed, and it was another different kind of restaurant. And so, at some point, you think, Well, will anyone make it? Well, the next person came in and was finally able to buy it cheap enough mm-hmm. that they had enough money to completely gut it and make it look entirely different. So, it was completely unrecognizable. And at that point, they had a good product, they had a good image, they had a good ambiance, they made it, and they're doing okay. A lot of times the failure may be location specific, maybe it's not a good location, or maybe it is a bad operator. You have to look at it carefully. But I think it's important to look at it and say, yes, we might be getting second generation restaurant, but what is important in second gen? Does that mean we want the grease trap? Does that mean we want the vent hood? What is it that we want out of it? If you're thinking you can just come in and put a new tablecloth on something and put some new colors in, consumers are much too smart for that. (laughs) And they don't wanna feel like they're eating a really great fajita an outback steakhouse <laughs> and yeah. so they, they need to make sure that they come in with sufficient capital to completely gut it so that the feel the smell of a failed restaurant doesn't linger if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah I, I have always believed sometimes the logistics of a particular location that may not necessarily need the proper traffic through that particular place and I have seen restaurants where the entrance or the exit is just not beneficial. So sometimes I look at those things and I say to myself, "That's going to be a failed business." And yes, it's obvious sometimes that uh, the in and out of a particular business, based on the, how the city approves certain entrance and exit, can actually take a business to a bankrupt. And I, have seen it a lot. I've seen a lot of businesses. And when I uh, talk to people who are jumping into a particular business, I like to make sure that they think those things. Wait, I mean,
2: that's the absolute truth. Um, You know, and and entrances and exits and off ramps, those change, you know, based on construction and how the city progresses. And so people's traffic patterns change and habits change. And so what worked 10 years ago may not work now. Um, We have an intersection here in town that went under heavy construction. And when these new flyovers came into play, it, it completely changed the dynamics of the restaurants. It didn't actually fail, but the success from them as a dinner concept was no longer viable, but they became great business um, breakfast concepts because of where the traffic was flowing now. And so if those restaurants aren't prepared or they don't have the right product mix for the ways that it works, then yeah, that's, that's very relevant. You've got to take a look at the whole picture, not just it's second gen, so let's ignore everything else.
1: That's good to know. That's definitely a very good, important information. So that brings up to me a question. And another one is how important is it for to have in a standalone building versus being in a plaza with other complementary business nearby, depending on the brand or franchise, right, the style? How, how important is that?
2: Man, that's a great question. And I think it's really specific on the particular business. So I think that you can have a situation where um, a standalone space is as appropriate. And that's usually when a drive-through is really key. Or loud music is another aspect, but they don't want to interrupt other tenants. They want to make sure they can do live music. Um, and as far as sales go, it may or may not impact their, their concept, but their rent is going to be astronomically higher for a standalone, um, anywhere between 30 and 40% higher, as well as keeping in consideration triple nets and property taxes. They're going to be brunting it all. They're not sharing in that at all. So yes, it's more visible of a concept, but they're gonna be paying a heavy premium for it. So I think it's really important for restaurant owners to say, does my concept need that? Or can I share the costs with other tenants? And will I benefit from their traffic? And so it really depends. And it also depends on the co-tenants, right? You may not want to be next to a loan office and a you know daycare, right? But being next to a nice boutique, a movie theater, or something else that has a good ambiance and traffic could be a huge to business and uh, and actually you'd enjoy walkthroughs and, and so
1: it just kind of depends no I um, I, I get that exactly what you're saying I had a friend of mine who built a hair salon uh, on a independent building all by herself and she spent ridiculous amount of money for it and she invested all her money into that business to find out that her prices were so high people would not visit that location I mean it was a beautiful salon Don't get me wrong, but the clientele was not there, even though it was in a very prominent, you know, very promising location, and it was beautiful architecturally designed, and she went all out and about. And for the money that she spent, it was no way she could get her money out in a short period of time. And, you know, return on investment is one of the key aspects of uh, establishing a business. And so that brings up a question. When you get people to you that want to see the return on investment, overall in a particular business building, what are the uh, potential growth in San Antonio today that is aligned 3%, 2% uh, between owning a business or renting a business that allows beneficial uh, overall markup to, what do you see the difference? What do you actually see the problem today or the solutions that they are there or the benefits between renting and ownership? Is it feasible? Is it non-feasible? Can you enlighten that?
2: Well, yeah, certainly. Without a doubt, the ROI is significantly higher renting versus owning, and I think that surprises a lot of people. Uh, How can that be if you're paying rent? Well, the capital involved in owning versus renting is dramatically different, and most tenants point to look at how much we're going to have to spend in tenant improvements, but what they don't realize is when they're buying a building, they have to put down 20, 30 percent. If they're lucky to get an SBA loan and they're the only occupant of a building, they might do 15 percent, but they have to pay that plus the tenant improvements anyways, and they have all their capital tied up in that project. So it makes those, your sales are gonna be the same, maybe not even be lower, because you had to pick a B, C, or D location in order to be able to buy one. Um, And But your capital is way higher, so that ROI is gonna be be less in most cases for owning, Uh, which is why you see most major restaurant operators, uh, they rent instead of buy, and then if they do buy, they turn around and do a sale lease back because they're able to capitalize on the credit quality and the real estate and then redeploy that capital to where they get a higher return on investment, which is in restaurants. Real estate returns are actually quite low. They well, are long The a tax write up too, right?
1: Well, there's a tax write up across the board for them when they neighborhood? Oh, you mean for the... When they're renting. On the rent, yes. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's tax advantages to renting as well.
1: Perfect. Well... Question, um, what is the best advice that you can actually give to potential franchisees when they are selecting location, building, dealing with a franchisor? What are those questions that they they should be asking?
2: Be careful who you partner up with in terms of Mm. the, the two most important decisions you can make in terms of restaurants, in my opinion, is choosing the appropriate franchisor. And choosing the appropriate real estate consultant or real estate broker. Um, Making sure both of those follow in line with a good set of clients. Don't take someone that says I'm commercial, but doesn't have a good list of restaurant clients to back it up. And don't take a good franchisor who has a good brand and product, but their other franchisees are all other first-time operators. You want to look at that and say, okay, I'm in company with good operators. Other good operators have vetted this person. And just follow suit and look at that, look at their track record and look at their other clients or
1: franchisees. Very nice, very nice. Well, we're running close to our our time of the hour, or time of the time, Uh, but I want you to brag a little bit about yourself. I know in 2018, you were named by the San Antonio Business Journal as one of the uh, 40 on the 40. And you are also in one of the very few brokers in San Antonio to have uh, named one of the top, 10 brokers by CoStar, and in the category of both leasing and investment sales. How do you get to this point? Tell me about it. Enlighten me about it. I mean brag a little bit more. It's just fascinating.
2: (laughs) You're very kind. Um, Really it came it's uh, I started in investment sales and I focused on selling shopping centers and selling single-tenant restaurants for so long and then I moved into leasing which is backwards. Most people would want to do the opposite. But I found that it really helped and it helped my clients quite a bit. And so um, I was able to take the approach of an investment mindset and understanding how those ROIs worked in the real estate world and apply it to the leasing side of things and have a better understanding of what worked for tenants and what worked for landlords to make more deals. And so my deal volume went up quite a bit and I was able to grow the business significantly um, by having that understanding of the other side. Usually someone has a focus on one or the other or does just a little bit of both. I was really fortunate to fully focus on investment sales and then fully focus on leasing. And it created a really unique dynamic that worked for myself and the clients. And as a result, um, my career grew and the company grew quite a bit too.
1: Very nice, very nice. Well, Bethany, I really enjoy our conversation. I really enjoy our podcast and today's uh, fast growing economy. Uh, Where can our listeners go and learn more about your business type uh, and how they can connect with you and do you only do San Antonio or do you do other cities? within the, you enlighten all the cities that you work with or territory you actually work with?
2: No, that's a great question. They can find us at foresightcre.com. So that's F-O-R-E-S-I-T-E-C-R-E.com. And as far as markets, we're based out of San Antonio, but we've helped restaurants expand nationwide. And we have sold properties in 15 states. Wow. Uh, our investment sales team has sold over half a billion and we manage properties throughout Texas and even Tennessee. So we do have a national um, platform, but we are based here in Texas.
1: Perfect. So it's good to know that you are based in San Antonio, but you also provide services in additional other 15 states, or do you have done work on other 15 states? I,
2: we were breaking up there for a second. I'm sorry. The connection I said you have good. done
1: work in 15 different states, or do you only work out of San Antonio? so i'm trying to get because i got caught off a little bit
2: Sure. now we work in 15 we have sold and done transactions in 15 states
1: okay good and you you can still do more business all over in different states across the nation which is great well that's good to know yes well i thank you very much for your time uh, i really appreciate you being part of our podcast and enlightening us with all your knowledge and wisdom and I can actually tell you um, I'm fascinating with your company. Your company has done a lot of great things for a lot of people and business success. So I'm looking forward to continue striving and knowing more about your business and over time and see what, how you come out in your timeline growth. So we definitely would refer more business to your way. Thank you very much. Bethany. Thank you. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You
2: as well. Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to the Inside Story on Franchising with your host, Ricardo Matos. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on your preferred podcast listening platform. That way, you'll never miss a new episode and you can help spread the word to more entrepreneurs like yourself. We really appreciate that effort and we'll catch you next time.